You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and, as usual, I'm joined by Neil Glover. Hello. Hello. And Jen Robertson. Hello. Good morning. (laughs) Are you trying to avoid anarchy in the, in the yes, hello I'm section of the find, podcast? I'm trying to establish a system that means both of you get to say hello and have your moment. So far it's failed. Okay, so that's good to see you both. Um, I do have a starter question for us today, which is, and I'm very open to anybody's response to this. So my question is, do you have a favourite verse in the Bible? I, I really don't like this question. In fact, I have a bit of an antithesis to all favourite questions because favourite colour, favourite animal, it means if you choose one, you're diminishing the others. Uh, so I, I never like favourite questions. And mm. and therefore, for the Bible, I feel the same, that if I choose one, there's lots of others. And if I choose one, it'll take it out of the where it was written and it'll be the lesser for having been chosen as a favourite verse. However, when people ask me this, I don't always want to say that. So uh, the ver- the verse I choose is from the, I think it's in the final chapter of John, which is interesting. Uh, that is coincidental. Uh, but it's when John run, run, he finishes off the gospel and he says, you know, there was lots of other things that were written about Jesus. And if we could write them all down, the world wouldn't have enough books uh, to hold them. And so if I have to have, to have a favourite mm. verse, that's it, because it says that there is so much more, even than what we've read in this book, uh, Yes, it does. So it so it actually counters the the favourite argument, really, doesn't it? That's I quite like that. That's very good, very good, nice. Neil, what about you? Do you have a favourite? Yeah, I, I'm the same as Jen. I, I really mm-hmm. I really struggle because the minute I think of one, like maybe um, Psalm 23, "The Lord's my shepherd," or um, John 1:14, "The Word became flesh," or Zephaniah 3, you know, "He will quiet you with His love." Um, I immediately go, "Oh no!" But there's there's this other bit as well that that I really really love. Um, I was once asked this in a job interview. I don't oh, really? Think, yeah, I don't think that's fair. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think they were trying to catch out if I did actually have a biblical verse. Yeah. Whether I went, pa, Bible, can't be bothered with that. And at ah, that point, yeah. I would have lost the, well, they wouldn't have said yes. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I'm guessing you're asking this question because of John 3.16. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I am because it is it is what people would often say was their favorite verse. Yeah. yeah. Or or it's it, it's off I often hear it described as being the the best known verse in the Bible and I don't know that that's necessarily true in 21st century Scotland. They they um they did us so we we talked about this before the the Bible Gateway website mm-hmm. does uh uh monitoring of what people's favorite verses were and I can't think for a long time I think it might have been this verse John 3:16. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might have been John 10, 10, the, the oh, I come yeah. that may have life in its fullness. But I do know most recently it has been Jeremiah 29, which okay. is, um, I have plans I know the plans to, I have for you. Yeah. 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 But, but, I, but that, sorry, see, anyway. I think there's an interesting question there because I, I think that's amongst Christians. I suppose my pushback against this is I think people say, oh, it's the best known Bible you know, verse, even, even by people who are not Christian. I, d- I don't know that that's true. I think people would go to Psalm 23 or they might, they would talk about um, light, actually. You know, let there be light. I think I think these verses are probably, I hear, in, in popular culture, you know, included in scripts and included in, so I'm just quite interested on, on, in the, on this topic, can mm-hmm. I read to you what I think is the most surprising 
introduction to a Wikipedia biography entry that I think exists. I certainly haven't read anything that comes as close as this. Here, here it is. Can you imagine if we said take no. your Wikipedia away from our podcast? <laughs> Just <laughs> sling your Wikipedia hook. Here we, here we go. Roland Frederick Stewart, born February the 23rd, 1944, also known as Rockin' Roland, and Rainbow Man is a man who is a fixture in American sports culture, best known for wearing a rainbow-coloured Afro-style wig and later holding up signs reading John 3.16 at stadium sporting events around the United States and overseas in the 1970s and 1980s. Full stop. He was convicted of multiple kidnapping charges following an incident in 1992 and is now serving three life sentences in Mule Creek State Prison. Wow. (laughs) I mean, there's a paradoxical life. Yes. (laughs) Goodness me. Because he was quite a well-known figure, wasn't he, of sporting events? Well, I mean, I think I've just said what Wikipedia said, that he was a well-known figure, but yeah, yeah. Gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, um, right, we've gone off on a, on a bit of a tangent well, already. Well, I think we'll come we? back to this later okay. on in the podcast because yep. it explores the difference between being able to talk about religion and being genuinely changed by it. Mm. And mm. A, I think that will maybe lie at the heart of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Mm. teaser for what lies ahead. Yeah. Teaser for what lies ahead. Great. Well, good. Um, so I'm glad that neither of you have uh, favourite verses. I don't have a favourite verse either. Um Although I would potentially go somewhere where like John one fourteen, as well, yeah, um, grace and yeah. truth. Although I think I did I not say the other week that I really liked the the um, uh, Simon son of John, but you will be Peter. Oh yes, yes, you yeah, did. It's, it's not yeah. again. It's not a favourite yeah. verse. It's just a verse that I really like because yeah. yeah, some something. Yeah, up. Yeah. I think that's that's the that's the point, isn't it? I I the quite liked your your choice of that because it's not one I'd ever heard before. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, a proof verse. text, is it? Of anything? No. It's just a yeah, exactly. I like the story. Um, great. So we'll come back to some of that later on. Um, now, listener correspondence, it's time for that. Jen, I think you have had an email from a listener with a question oh, yes. about John the Baptist. Elizabeth. Elizabeth asked about... Yes. I, know, I don't have it in front of me. That's really... I'm not prepared. But basically, I th- she was asking... There's a, there was a bit in John chapter one, I think, the first the first podcast we did at John's Gospel, where John the Baptist says he doesn't, I don't know Jesus. And she was wondering, which I thought was very good wondering, um, how can that be true? Because we we see, we think of John mm-hmm. as being Jesus' cousin. And <laughs> uh, so what was that all about? And so we did go back and forth some emails about that, but that'd be interesting to find out thoughts on that one. Um, I, I made a discovery about this following the question, which is that nowhere in the Bible does it actually say that Jesus was John the Baptist's cousin. Oh, now that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, so there is a verse in where Gabriel says to Mary, Elizabeth, your relative is now uh-huh. pregnant. And I think it was Wycliffe who translated that or suggested that that meant cousin. And therefore, people have often said, almost as a given, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist were second cousins. Um, and he, there's, there's a number of things to explore here. I mean, one is why does Jesus not, as you say, why did you, do John and Jesus seem to make no reference to this at any other point in the Bible? Um, and I don't know about you, but um, there are some cousins I have who I who I hardly know. I remember mm-hmm. the embarrassment of once a, teaching skiing on Cairngorm and there was a class next to me. 
And I'm sure I, I the, the instructor um, looked familiar. So I skied up to one of the members of the person's class and I said, could you tell me the name of your instructor? And he said, oh, his name's Alistair. And I thought, oh, yeah, it probably is. Hi, Alistair. I'm Neil, your cousin. <laughs> we didn't know it. That was how... <laughs> now, if that's the kind of tenuous relationship I have with my first cousin. But, but then it's, about the it's not, a, that's our culture cousin. in Scotland now. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What, I'm not an expert on the culture that Jesus and John were growing up in. Imagine it was there was less people. It was more yeah. integrated. There was more fa- family was yeah yes family yes. was more likely to be related yeah. to people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and given the fact that Elizabeth and Mary went to see each other for several was it months uh, at the start, uh-huh. the chances that they never yeah, saw I mean, if, each if other. If I was Mary or Elizabeth slim. and had been through that during pregnancy, I'd be hanging on to that other woman. <laughs> you know, you had there was a connection there. Yes, but if you if you lived in a, in a place that you had to walk a distance to get to, you 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 know you're not going to take a bank holiday Monday and go and pop over and visit, are you? Do, do you know? It's, and women didn't uh-huh. have that kind of yeah, life. Exactly, either. exactly. Would they have met at Passover and things though, mm-hmm. and festivals? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we just don't know. Or, I mean, I did wonder as well. Was it a different kind of knowing? Yes. Like you didn't fully know, you didn't fully know that this this was yes. who Jesus was. Yes. And he was God's son. But great question. Well, I mean, it was great to, have to kind of contemplate and think yeah. about it. So great question, Elizabeth. I know. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much for that. As ever, if you have something you want to ask, then um, do get in touch. You can do that by outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. <laughs> I forgot the, forgot the address there. Uh, or obviously, you know, if you if you know one of us, you can get in touch with us that way. And uh, don't forget, you should let, or you don't, you don't, not should, but you you can, if you choose, uh, like, rate, share and review. That really does help us. It, it uh, helps us boost up the ratings and helps people find um, the podcast. So today we're going to be talking, as you may have already figured out by our introductory question where we, we went off on to talking about John chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to be talking about John chapter 3. Maybe we should have said that at the beginning. If you're reading along in Light and Life, then that's on pages 10 and 11. Don't forget that Light and Life is available from SBS. You can go to scottish.bible forward slash light and life. And you've got the option there. You can either order two copies for £2 each, or you can order 10 or more copies for £1 each. And that includes postage for anybody within the UK. So um, it's a, a bargain to be had. Before any, any of that, though, it is, of course, time for Glubbers Off. Glovers Off today is about something which I know you have had a lot of experience of, Fiona, but I'm interested as well, Jen. What you assume, e- Neil. You assume. I think it's a reasonable assumption. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Amdram, amateur dramatics, the whole world of amateur dramatics. And the reason is because I was at the regional heats of the Scottish one-act play competition which were in Burnham Arts Centre last night and uh, for our area I mean Aberfeldie is like a hotbed of amateur dramatics I think from people within Aberfeldie there I think are four out of the 12 entries in and this is only our like our sub area uh, are from folks in Aberfeldie it's a big deal and uh, there's so one of 12 plays that are happening over four nights and I was at the first set of heats last night because our daughter Susie was in a production which was also written by a member of our church called Anna Price and uh, Anna who has a career in acting actually she played Granny Island in Katie Morag amongst other things and uh, it was about fisherwomen um, and it was beautiful it was beautifully done and it inhabited the world of uh, these women who gutted herring and for generations this happened in Scottish life and it was about the relationships that happened 
between them. I was absolutely blown away last night. Even that there were three plays we saw, and the middle one was much closer to that a kind of that image of of amateur dramatics. You know, it happened in a living room, and there was nice uh, furniture with lace over armchairs and things like that. And yet, even that at one point, and particularly two men who portrayed um, a, two men uh, who were, uh, to use the phrase that they used, who were otherly abled um, in the piece, they were just brilliant. Um, I was blown away by a production that was done by young people who are part of the drama in uh, Bridalbin Academy, which is our local secondary school. And their drama teacher, a woman called Eve Marie Shore, is, is, one of the, is a, a, a teacher who just inspires people. And it, it was a production called Chat Room, which was written by a woman called Enda Walsh, which uh, Fiona, you recognised as being part of, you said it was part of NT Connections. Well, I think it might be. I think, I, I think, well, it's I think an it was because play. somebody yeah. said that mm-hmm. during the, mm-hmm. the thing, which is mm-hmm. when a playwright's. Enda Walsh is quite a well known writer, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and apparently she'd been commissioned to write this for use by young people reflecting the world that they're in. And mm-hmm. it was very raw about mm-hmm. some of the conversations that happen in chat rooms. And for, for me watching it and having to recognise that that was. That was the world that young people live in. My uh, my daughter, who's in second year, was was next to me, and when she watched it, and she later on said that some of the members of cast in in her production who had watched it were all complaining about the language, and my daughter Susie to me just said, "I can't believe they're bothered about that because you know," and she said it was really good. But what was really striking as well. So the first thing that I would make a comment on is that it was a creative act, and if we believe that in a creative God then when people create that which is life-giving and truthful, I can't help but think that God is, is part of that. But also in a very overt way, the, the, the play chat room, um, one of the characters in it talks about his experience of being, a, being an altar boy and being asked to play the part of the beloved disciple John in the Passion Play. And he then goes through a crisis about whether he's going to take his own life. And some of the characters in the chat room actually encourage him to to do this and one of them I can't help but think was a devil figure and what happens is that another group of of girls who I can't help but think represent Mary invite Jesus the Jesus figure who's called Laura to come into this chat room and she makes this brilliant speech at the end which saves the life of this character who's wrestling and when this uh, young woman who's I think she's 16 made this speech I mean, I was in tears just mm-hmm. just watching it. And so for me, amateur dramatics in the most literal sense, a drama performed by people who, who are amateur, um, is it, for me, it was just a mind-blowingly good evening. It was creative. And um, it had a gospel message in mm-hmm. it uh, mm-hmm. because I think in good art, you can't ever escape the gospel. I think you've got struck at the heart of something there, Neil, because I, I think the, the the problem with the phrase amateur dramatics is we all think of these farces and arsenic and old lace and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But any piece of art, theatre, should make you think about life. It should it should contain a question of life and death, of the meaning of life, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can I just do a little plug for, for something I'm involved in, which is Radius, which is a British association of um, religious playwrights. So any listeners who are interested in theatre, interested in um, re- people particularly coming from a faith perspective who are writing, then connect with some of the Radius stuff. It's, it's really good. They do, they do online playwriting events and things, or play reading events, rather. Check it out if you're interested in that. Wow, great. Well, I... I, I... 
I mean, I think I've always loved what you do uh, in acting and creative arts. But I, <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I mean, I've directed Susie in a play. I've, Susie has performed in a play I've written, actually. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was suffragettes. Oh, I dig right. that back out again. That was a good play. Anyway, thank you very much, Neil. That's That's been super. Let's move on to the main topic of our conversation today, which is, yeah, around John 3. So can we talk about Nicodemus, first of all? He's an intriguing chap, isn't he? He appears three times, does he, in the Gospel? Yes, he appears here, and later on he'll appear in John chapter uh, 7. Uh, he puts in a good word for Jesus in a kind of half way, and then later on in the Gospel we see him pick up uh, pick up Jesus his body and 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 treat it with a great deal of respect. So we, we'll maybe talk about this in a bit later. But he's a character who goes through a transformation, I think, in the gospel, and he's unique to John. We don't find him anywhere. Well, else. I love that Nicodemus seems to sort of have it all in this chapter, which is in contrast to who we're going to meet in chapter four, <laughs> the woman at the well, um, and that that ability of of Jesus. Well. Lots of people need to be with Jesus, and Nicodemus wants to be with Jesus, and he wants to talk to Jesus. But you know, he's educated, he's got authority, he's got power. He's got lots of experience in life. I did read, read somewhere maybe he was the the sort of main teaching rabbi at the time. He was quite he had lots of authority and a, and a chance to express what mm-hmm. the right way to follow God was. And yet here he comes uh, looking for Jesus. You know, why does he come at night? Why is is it because he's worried, or is it just he was too busy during the day? You know, we make assumptions about that nighttime visit. You know, yes. <laughs> he, he came at night because he, he was he was embarrassed or worried. Maybe he was. It, it really could have been, but maybe also he just had such a full life of so many things to do. He, he came when he had the time. Uh-huh. And I would love to um, reimagine the story of Nicodemus through John's Gospel. The bits we don't hear about, you know, what did he see Jesus doing? What did he mm. hear Jesus say? What brought him to that point that he spent so much money at the end of Jesus' life to make sure that his mm-hmm. burial was done properly? And I, I, I like that he comes, but I, I think the idea that he comes by night, I, I think that's quite challenging what you just said, that it, it may not be for the, the reasons that we always think of, of not wanting other people to see. But I like that idea that there are, people because i think we we meet them people who in contemporary life i mean who are seeking jesus but they're they're doing it maybe by night so you know don't make assumptions about somebody's worldview or somebody's rejection or acceptance of of christ yeah yeah he has a lot to lose uh-huh and we discover that actually in chapter seven because he speaks up for jesus and people immediately turn on him mm-hmm. he has a lot to lose if he follows jesus mm-hmm but he seems to be somebody who comes with in, in a genuine spirit of seeking rather than a I'm going to catch you out because obviously that's what we encounter a lot isn't it with the with those in religious authorities that they're seeking to catch Jesus out and do it publicly um but he he is obviously seeking uh, yeah. to to know more and he there's, uses there's the, he uses that word signs again doesn't he um I, I, was he at the wedding you know <laughs> did he enjoy the wine what what that's the only sign yeah. that we've encountered up to yeah. this point. So or, yes, or was yes, he in he the temple? And this, and you know, did he see that mm-hmm. the anger of Jesus and the the words he said? And, and there's so much mm-hmm. to. I, I never really wondered about Nicodemus before. He's a brilliant character. I, I wonder if, as well, he he realizes as well that if he's torn, isn't he? Because he's going, um, you you're a teacher who, who comes from God. There's something about you. No one could do what you do. But he also probably knows that if he's going to follow Jesus, he's going to lose everything potentially about mm-hmm. his own personal identity. And I think this shows up in the whole image of being born again. You know, why else does Jesus choose that? Um, 
And there's also this this thing, I mean, it's probably worth saying, this this, this chapter kind of breaks up into three sections. The, the first part uh, through to verse 21 is this conversation with Nicodemus. Then we switch to John the Baptist, and then we come back to this this comment that, that we, we're talking about, which we're not sure particularly where it comes from. But in, in this in this chapter, the, and it's a constant theme of John, and it challenges me, to what extent are you prepared to leave your religious home in order to be a truer follower of, of Jesus? An easy answer for us is maybe to say, oh, well, we don't have to because we're already part of the church and that the church is the right place to be. And all he had to do was move from Judaism into the world of the, the church. And we can talk about if those things are different or not. But, but I think there's something about Jesus provoking us to leave behind that which is of the, of the old birth or the first birth mm-hmm. and come into that which is of the new birth. I, I mean, I, one of the things I find quite interesting is is how Jesus deals with him. And I observe this quite often about Jesus. He doesn't kind of let people off the hook, does no, he? No, no. Do you know, he comes straight away with this, this oh, you've got to be born again. You know, he, he it's almost like he's setting Nicodemus up to to push him further, isn't he? Yeah, and I do I do like that we've got a conversation here, though, and, we, and that happens quite a lot in John, doesn't it? That we don't just get what Jesus is saying, but uh-huh. we hear the question. Last night at our wee youth group Bible study we were looking at Matthew chapter 5 which is the start of the Sermon on the Mount and we were commenting on how it just feels like Jesus like throwing things at you like it just leaps from one topic to the other and we did wonder you know what was their conversation in there that people were asking Uh about specific things and we don't get that bit of it so it just seems all this stuff kind of lumped together sort of a summary minute yeah (laughs) but in here it's a real response to questions but yeah Jesus doesn't hang about he doesn't like Oh, why did you come? How was, you, how was your day in Nicodemus? Maybe, different, no. but, you know, yeah, <laughs> but, yes, yeah, that's right. yeah he, he really deals with where Nicodemus is, is wanting to go. And so can I, can I bring in something, not controversial, but maybe it's slightly more awkward. I, I find this quite a difficult chapter to get my head around. Yeah. I always slightly dread it when I come to read it, perhaps because we think of John 3.16 as being such an, an iconic yeah. I don't want to misuse the word because people use that word all the time, but an iconic verse. And so then we come to it and I think, oh, I, I find it really hard to get my head around what yeah. Jesus is saying here. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like it until um, we get to the bit where for God so loved the world. It seems a bit strange. But up to them, it seems quite straightforward. And then you get this really complex um, explanation mm-hmm. of what God's doing in the world. Um, and that's when I really start to struggle with it. But I always feel that I should really like it. Yes. Like this should be a, this should be a really good passage. And I think when I read it this time for the first time, really, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't straightforward. We need to talk about this more. Yes. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, let's let's talk about being born again and birth. And then what we'll then do is move on to that section from 16 onwards. And we'll, we'll talk about the snake being lifted up and, and, and the idea of being lifted up and... Um, the, the recurring theme there about up and down because Neil, I know you want to talk about that. So let, let's start with with birth. Jen, you're always good on <laughs> talking about the realities oh, of physical birth. Well, yeah, again, when it's I was a reading, topic. When I was reading this, I just I thought I've never heard a woman teach on this. That how does Jesus comment on being born again and uh, connect with? So how what is, how does our spiritual birth rebirth connect with our physical birth because you can't disconnect him this is what jesus is saying he's he's using the picture of the physical birth of a baby to talk about what it means to be 
brought into this new life of Jesus. And there was lots of things I was thinking about. And I was thinking, you know, the, the, the pain of childbirth, the prolonged nature of childbirth, the fact that when you're in childbirth, well, all, when I was in childbirth, all I wanted was this to be resolved. I, I just, you need it to be finished. Mm-hmm. And you need the child to be alive. And you, and that's all you're concerned about. And you have to go through it quite often. I had quite a lot of plans of how I wanted it to go. But in the in the midst of it, you just want it to be over. And then mm-hmm. the whole miraculous nature of birth, which you're not thinking about when you're in childbirth. Um, but when that baby is born, it immediately goes from being connected to the the mother fed through the mother to being able to breathe the air it's in it, it happens instantaneously it's its heart begins to work the lungs take in the air and that made me think about what what does that mean to be born into this new life that mm-hmm. has come because jesus is here mm-hmm. it's a total transformation and then i was thinking about things like well we once you're when you're we don't focus on the birth do you once the baby's born you it's the baby and they're here and their life that's they're going to live. And so it's sometimes in Christian circles, when we talk about this as if this is the big moment, we need to think more about this spiritual birth. That's all that matters. We'll talk about that for the rest of our life. But I don't know about you. I don't go wandering around uh, talking about my birth really. Mm. I mean, I know about it. And as a mother, I talk about my children's birth. Yeah. Uh, it, it is important, but it, it's, it's, it's part of this whole, being alive yeah business. i think tom wright yeah. talks about that doesn't he in in, yeah. in his commentary on it and you don't walk about with your birth certificate to prove yeah. that you're alive do you proof of life is something different and i think that's yeah. yeah that is interesting isn't it because I, I do wonder if sometimes when we describe being born again and it, it that phrase has taken on a particular meaning hasn't it? Mm-hmm. it it becomes very focused on the on the moment of conversion yeah and 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 as you say let's just take nicodemus here at what point was Nicodemus converted? We uh-huh. don't know, but we do know that he does something incredible for Jesus at the end of his life. Now, this might seems to have taken three years yeah. um, mm-hmm. to to reach this point, you know. And some some births are. I'm I'm being very cautious here because I, men need to be very careful when they talk about childbirth. Well, to uh, be honest, women who've not had children. I mean, Jen, yeah. when you said earlier, I've never heard a woman preach. I thought I've preached on this, and I thought, but I've not had children. So, so I actually I felt. Yeah, this is, I, I felt slightly excluded by what you'd said. Actually, no, no, I, I, I didn't, don't mean I didn't, it there. I didn't hear to you, make you feel bad. I didn't hear you preach on it. So. No, no, no. But but I'm not somebody who has been through it either, Neil. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, but let, let's just talk about men for a minute. Men, men often, and I probably are guilty of this. Men have no hesitation in jumping into these verses and talking sure. about birth, mm-hmm. and, and ought to be a bit, a little, a little bit of humility is is due. So the phrase I was about to use is, "Some births are quick," and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is relatively quick. Um, and and some births take a long, long time, and I think it is the same with the with the spiritual life. That that and and they're painful. And once again, back to the whole thing we're talking about process and drama. You know, the the idea of giving birth to something. You know, I what I saw last night were three pieces of art which had a long and very involved and painful birthing process, and I was only seeing the last part of it. And I think Jesus is is saying that this this process of coming into Him and being alive in Him it, it can be can be utterly painful. But the important thing, I guess, is the point that we move towards it. Um, Jane, I was very struck when you talked about breath there and and the point at which you come to breath, because of course 
the immediately move from talk about birth to talk about spirit. And in Hebrew, the word spirit, pneuma, can either mean wind, and Jesus talks about the wind blowing where it, where it wills, but also it can mean breath, and particularly it means the breath of life. So there's a lot of kind of overlapping pieces of imagery that are, that are going on here. And I was thinking about that moment where you wait for the baby to breathe again, or one of our children, um, when they were born, hey, Susie, it took quite a long time for that to happen. And I remember the anxiety yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't mean to exclude you at all, Fiona. Oh, no, sorry. I feel excluded is probably a bad, <laughs> no, a bad word to have chosen. I think what I was wanting to have was the conversation about why Jesus uses birth. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, yes. and compete, and whoever you are, and whatever your life experience is, we we can talk about that because it is connected to the physical birth thing, and I think that helps yes. us understand what our spiritual birth is. I mean, we, I just felt we should have there should be more conversation about that rather than if we just leap to the spiritual. Yes, we have a, a limited understanding of what Jesus is trying to say here because it's so connected to the physical birth. Yeah, and and again, I think you're. I think I go back to what we we've talked about already in terms of when we were talking about the cousin thing yeah. the question about Jesus and John uh, culturally it's different so I think we in, in western society unless we are a woman giving birth we are quite remote from that experience I mean I, I guess a, a partner a father would be in, in the room most times but you know whereas I think within the, the culture that, that, that Jesus and Nicodemus would be there would be a, a, a strong sense of what was happening when the woman was giving birth totally because mm. people would be hearing it yeah 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 yeah. yeah. You wouldn't be taken away from the community. Into yes, into yeah. a very sanitized environment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Interesting. I I think that's what you've said, Neil, about this the, the next bit that Jesus says. I've always struggled with that a wee bit. Why does he why does he go from talking about being uh, you need to be born again um to go on and talk about uh, the wind blowing where it where it pleases, but it, it does connect when you mm-hmm. when you think about birth being about taking your first breath and mm-hmm. becoming something different, really, you know, it's not a, it's not a human baby, but um, and, huge and birth is about fragility as well, isn't it? Yeah. It it's it's a it, there's a lack of control. You know, mm. you, you can't control what's happening, mm-hmm. like the storm. So you know, Neil, wind. that moment you mm-hmm. talked about with Susie, yeah. that you know, that there's there's nothing you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. there are obviously medical interventions and all the rest of it, but do you know that it is it, it, one of those moments I think that exposes our really lack of power to do anything yeah yeah dependence dependence and i suppose maybe is that the point he's also making with the wind that you don't know where the wind's going to blow yeah i i, I love these verses i mean mm-hmm. I, I do and even as we're talking about them today the idea of being pulled into something new the idea of being changed the idea of the wildness of the of the spirit blowing in all sorts of yeah. different directions and our urge to contain and i love it i think it was you were saying a minute ago, Jen, the idea that Jesus goes straight there with Nicodemus, the man who's been a success, the man who's got it tied down, and yet there's this hunger. I mean, yeah, he's, he's yeah, he speaks to bits of my life where, you know, in some ways I've been religiously successful, uh, and I, I'm saying that in a deliberately ironic way. And <laughs> and it's that reflection at the key, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, f- I feel that. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not laughing at you, Neil, because because you're right. I, I no, I utterly feel that though, Fiona. And you know that you do these things and you appear on things. You appear in a podcast or you head up this committee. And I, I want to say to people, and I can't say because you you don't expose all of your life to everybody. But I just want to go. If only you knew. Uh huh. Uh huh. And actually, all of us are in this struggle, and that that 
of, of change. And I suppose some of it, I'd like to think most of it came from the spirit. I'm not always sure. <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, I think the spirit does blow us to places where we just don't expect yeah. ever to stand. Yeah. And Nicodemus is totally willing to say he doesn't get it. You know, this powerful, educated, full of authority and privilege, he's willing to say, how can this happen? How can I be born again when I'm old? I would need to go back into my mother's womb. Whereas so, you know, we're scared of asking questions or yes. showing that we've got doubt. Or, But he's not at mm. all. He's like, tell me, I need to know. Can we talk about the snake? <laughs> can we talk about numbers? Yeah. Before we get to the snake, yes. can we talk about up down? <laughs> oh, go on then. Yeah, because it's important for the snake. Okay, let's do that. Um, so... And this, this is a great example of how John uses terms which have ambiguity to them and are, are confusing. Um, I mean, no way that John wrote the gospel and went, well, everybody's going to understand that. It's perfectly obvious. It's really, it throws you all over the place, a bit like the blowing of the spirit. I, I heard, as I said, Ken Stephen recently talk about a piece of poetry which he loved. Um, and he also said, but I don't understand lots of it. And there's lots of that going on here in, in John, particularly the last section, but also even from 16 onwards, you know, the bit about where Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. And then we suddenly read that the world is condemned. You know, and you think, oh, well, that's lovely. You've come to save the world, but oh, look, lots of people are still judged. So there's all sorts of stuff going on here. Anyway, the point being that the, the word for born again, the again word can also mean from above. And one of the key pieces of of image that's going on here is that that Jesus has come from above and and some versions of the Bible, the New International Version flattens this out in verse 13. It says no one has come from heaven. Actually, the the Greek means no one has descended from heaven and no one who has ascended other than the one who has descended in the first place. So it's all ascent, descent. And this takes us right back to verse 51 of chapter 1, where it talks about the angels ascending and descending. And John is using this image to talk about another realm. And he wants his his disciples of Jesus to belong to that other realm, which is, you know, curiously present, but also one in which Jesus moves up and down. And so the, the image of being born again, a second time, which is very present in the verse, also the word also means being born from above. So having a new identity. And this takes us right back to the prologue again, where it talks about uh, those who are born not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the idea that there is something of the world of God, where God comes from, which has come down to us in Jesus, and we're expected to somehow share in the same journey to be be going from above, which then leads us on to Jesus being lifted up, because we're once again, we're in the, the realm of moving up or moving down, we're in vertical movement. So when Jesus is talking about being lifted up, he is also referring to this up-down imagery, which is very present in this verse. Lovely. C- can we, sorry. Yes. No, just, I'm just, mo- I'm keen to move on to the snake. Yeah, go, let's move on to the snake. I mean, we'll just, we'll just flag the fact that, you know, I, I like the phrase flattening out. The NIV has flattened out. Yes, I, I mean, literally, yes, I didn't realise literally flattened yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So Sorry, Jen. Yes, that. let's talk about the snake. So number numbers twenty one is so, the reference for that. So we so that like correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you will. Um, so the Israelites had gone against God God's ways, and then this terrible plague hits them, 
and the snake is lifted up by Moses. And if they look at the snake, they're healed. Mm. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I just find that an interesting metaphor to use for Jesus as if, so where's the connection between Jesus presumably point towards the cross that he will be lifted up, he'll be hanging on the, the, the piece of wood, he'll, he'll be dying and if we believe in him, we have eternal life, but he's he's not he's not a snake. I mean, a snake to me is like in the Bible is represents evil, and so there's a strange kind of mix going on here of a, a snake that's evil and sort of looked down Except onto it, Jesus. But, but I guess in Numbers, it wasn't a snake that was put on the pole; it was an image of a snake. Because was it why was it the snake? Fill me in. I think it's the the idea that the thing which somehow kills you is also the thing which might heal you as well I, I, I mean i'm just i had a random conversation with a someone yesterday when i was out walking the dog whose dog is called noosa and we and um she said oh yes um we um we called the dog after noosa because we we went to uh, as our family and uh, we went to indonesia and we loved the place noosa and she said it was only after we named the dog did we actually remember that Nusa was also the place where our children, when we visited Indonesia, were bitten by a dog. And I said, <laughs> oh, I really like that idea, I said uh, to the person, not knowing I was going to be speaking about this verse today, um, that uh, the thing which damages you is also the thing of new life uh, and that you've called your dog after the place where you were once bitten by a dog. So I think there's something in that about the thing which threatens you is also the thing which heals you. And I don't know how far we can push the imagery of Jesus, but maybe Jesus becomes the one who is cursed, the one who is somehow in the cross, becomes the one who is sinful, but therefore heals us from sin. Maybe. I'm, I'm... I mean, And that's how I've always understood it, I think, that that Jesus takes on the nature of the snake, if you will. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, which is why I suppose I wanted to make the point about the representation of the snake rather than the snake itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's slightly caught in the the Scots phrase, the hair of the dog. You know, the idea that the the thing which bit you is also the thing which might might heal you. Yeah, yeah, um, but but yeah, but being lifted up is quite a big thing. Uh, and I I love Tony Campolo has a, a thing about this that wherever Jesus is lifted up, he will draw people to himself. Mm. And whenever mm-hmm. you draw up the the truth of Jesus, whether it's in a church or in a piece of art or in a conversation or using Jesus' example, wherever you lift up Jesus, Jesus will draw all people uh, to himself. Um, And Jesus will later on pick up on this. Um, In John 12, he says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then later on, the the lifting up is almost a kind of halfway. uh, But then later on, Jesus at the end of John will say, I now must ascend to to my father in John chapter 20 when he's talking to Mary. And so it's almost like the lifting up is the first part of the journey that goes up to to heaven. So once again, we're into that vertical down up imagery again. Mm. But it's it's complicated stuff, isn't it? So I'm imagining Nicodemus in the middle of the night thinking, goodness me, I need to go and revisit my numbers theology and think about that. And it's it's deep stuff. And which chapter in numbers is it? Twenty one. Twenty one. So. Having had this conversation, Jen, you said something before we before we started recording this morning that that I think really has made me think, which is about where Jesus stops speaking and where yeah. potentially John picks up the narrative again. Yeah, because I'm in gonna verse have a, 16. Yeah. 
this is a real it's like a Nicodemus moment and as you're saying that Nicodemus is willing to say I don't I don't get this and and all the years that I've been reading John chapter three I have never noticed um and, and maybe it's it's maybe particular to the NIV translation I'm not sure but when you get to everyone who believes may have eternal life in him after the comment about the snake that's where the direct speech ends and then the next the next paragraph um is not direct speech i i've just always assumed and i think i think neil will tell us there's been lots of disagreement about this but i just always assumed that it's it's john john is john the writer is quoting jesus saying for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so it's as if this is the ongoing um comment that jesus is making to nicodemus but in this in the niv it's, it's it looks like it's a different text. This is actually maybe John the writer commenting on his understanding of Jesus, which I know it doesn't, doesn't really make a huge difference to how we how we explore this and what it means to us and how we get to know God better. But it, I, I felt I should have known that before. Maybe <laughs> this wasn't Jesus directly saying this. And then you get the wee bit about John the Baptist and saying he must become greater, I must become less. And then the last wee paragraph of chapter three seems similar. It's kind of, a comment from John the writer. Um, and I just wrote in the my paragraph, what is going on here? What is this? Um, so, and so we still, we still, there's lots in that we need to talk about and understand, but it just gave me a different perspective on how I'd read John chapter three over all these years. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the biblical commentators are not sure where Jesus stops talking here. In my uh, version, it says uh, at the end of, so some people say that Jesus talks all the way through to verse 21, but mm-hmm. in my version of the Bible, there's a little footscript or footnote, footnote you, which says you, some interpreters hold that the quotation concludes with verse 15. I just like to say in my, in my NIV Bible, Bible, not the, not the, the SBS version, um, it says the other way around. So it ends the quotations there and says in the footnote, some interpreters end the quotation at verse 36. Right. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. It offers you the alternative. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. It's made the choice and then offered the alternative. In the and 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 that's because there's no bit that says and then Jesus said or then yeah and so on. I think there's actually a deeper thing going on here, which is I think John the writer feels so close to the spirit of Jesus because he utterly believes that Jesus is still alive in the world, that he feels authorized to speak as for Jesus within his own voice. And I think this happens later on, particularly see at the end of John chapter 6. And so verse 31, the bit that says, the one who comes from heaven is above all, the one who is of the earth, that could be Jesus speaking, or it could be John the writer speaking. It could even be John the Baptist speaking. We don't know. Uh, but for John, the, the gospel writer, he, he doesn't seem that worried about trying to resolve that ambiguity for us. Uh, and he's happy for us to live with the possibility that that could be one of three different speakers at that point. I quite like to think that it's John explaining it. I think it helps me understand the chapter better uh, because it feels like in some way John's like me. You know, he's a follower of Jesus and and he's explaining for us um, who Jesus is and what he's done and giving an added understanding rather than when I've read it before, it just feels like Jesus goes into some kind of 
monologue yeah. <laughs> which mm-hmm. doesn't fit with the star like when he's having this conversation with Nicodemus it doesn't feel Jesus-like so I'll, I'll take that as, as helpful <laughs> <laughs> and it, it reminds us doesn't it that, that that each gospel is it has its own purpose and flavor and interpretive purpose you know it's not it's not verbatim theater it's not verbatim writing no, no. here are just the words of Jesus there's interpretation on on that, isn't there? I mean, I think so. I mean, either that, or you're left with a, a, a version of events where um, Jesus preaches, and Matthew, and well, potentially Mark is quite closely derived from Peter. Peter is is hearing one thing and and writes it down and tells Mark and Matthew and later on Luke, and then Jesus, as an aside, uh, then turns to the beloved disciple John and speaks, but in a completely different register and, and tone and all the rest. Now, I, 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 I struggle to, to think that and, and th- instead think that, that, you know, this is John in the spirit of Jesus reflecting, reflecting on it. Can we, can we just say before we move off, Three, John 3.16. I yeah. just love this verse, though. I'm just looking mm, at yeah. it again. It's so Yes, we've slightly, we have slightly dismissed it this morning, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> I know, and I, I, I'm just thinking there when we were talking about it, I was reading it through, because of the way it's laid out in the Light and Life Gospel, um, it's a whole paragraph. You know, it starts out for God so loved the world and ends um, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And if you, when you read it as a whole thing yes. rather than just that one verse, what I, I was thinking about when I was reading about it was here is God... Jesus offering us this new life, this a life that's full of light, uh, that we're loved by God. And yes, we can't just kick into touch the condemnation for those who turn away from that. But the thing that jumped out at me was this offer of life that God is giving us. When where sometimes I feel when I if you just read John three sixteen, it just feels a bit like, and I've heard it said, you know, are you in? Are you out? You know. Have you have you believed in him or have you not? Are are you with Jesus or are you are you not with Jesus? Whereas when you read the whole thing, the focus is this, this fantastic offer to all of us because because God loves the world so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and that's the. It has so much, doesn't it? It has the idea of the the the, the movement of God towards the world is one of love. Even before Christ has died for the world, if you if you can use terms of before and after when it comes to things like that, which don't really work, but even before the Christ dies, God God is just filled with love for the world, not just the people of the world, but the world, the, the whole creation. I would argue, and then it, it contains for He gave His Son. So there's something has to happen here, and of course, for me, this points to the cross, and then this idea that whoever believes in Him. And I love the idea of believe as just the, if I was to say that the the Bible had, actually, I think I'm, I'm going to end up, it's like, I could almost argue that this is the Bible in one verse. Um, <laughs> and a, and that the whole of the, the Bible, in terms of the human response, is one of belief, of trust, of opening. Um, it leads us into Paul talking about the righteous will live by faith, which he's taking from Habakkuk and Abraham. It talks about the Psalms as the righteous one, the one who trusts in the Lord. Uh, it talks about here simply as belief. Um, it talks about in the synoptics, uh, sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the one who enters into the kingdom. All of this is, is us being prepared to, to open a doorway within ourselves where we allow Jesus to come in a relationship 
of trust and of dependency. And it's from that radical newness that life comes. So what we've effectively done this morning is we have we have unpacked it all. <laughs> we've put it all back together and thought, yeah, this verse is good. This verse is good. So to round off the, the, the main section, um, I suppose we just looking beyond this section, we come back to John the Baptist again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, there's a little bit of a confusion amongst his disciples about what's going on. Yeah, the, there's this whole res, residual thing, particularly in the beginning of John's gospel, that there seem to be fans of John who are a bit put out by Jesus. And John, the writer, is very keen to say that John the Baptist himself was very keen that people moved on from Jesus, from him to Jesus. And it has to be said, that portrait is very consistent with the portrait of John that we have in the other gospels. That John is this person who is uniquely prepared to give up everything to, to point to Jesus, although doesn't actually get Jesus himself at different points. Um, but it's, And yeah, I love John. But I do wonder as well that maybe we're, sometimes we're like those disciples of John. We quite like John's religion where we point to Jesus, but we still live in quite a, quite a or, oh, what's the word? maybe legalistic way. Maybe that's the, the phrase I'm, I was talking to someone about this this week, where um, I was I was struck by they they were doing quite something quite significant in their life, and they said, "I I hope now God will like us or God will approve of my life now," and I was really troubled by that and explored it with them, and and they said, "Yes, I I think I am quite legalistic, and I am always drawn to that, and I wonder if there's a a little bit of John the Baptist discipleship in quite a lot of us." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? it's and John himself is saying, "No, move to Jesus." Yeah, 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 and and I mean, the more I read the the Gospel of John again and think about John the Baptist, I just, I, I just admire him so much. If that's the right word, you know, he's 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 not he's not insipid in any way at all. He's like totally bold and confident. And I I think it was one of the commentaries I read. And I talked about he's like the last prophet, isn't he? Before, and but here he is. He knows that Jesus is it. Yeah. And, yeah, and I would really long for that kind of perspective in my life that, that John's got that uh, this is my job to do, uh, but now it's I've done my job, it's complete, and over to Jesus. It's just great. I, I really like John the Baptist. I think I like him more and more. Yeah, I think I used to find him quite challenging, but yeah, I like him more and more. And I think, yeah, it's, that's such a challenge, isn't it? Because living in the light of the cross and resurrection and and where we are now, how much more should that be what we say that that he becomes greater? But it's hard. So you know, I I, I respect him. I you know, I really admire his ability to yeah. I mean, imagine having conviction. all these people that are like, you know, we want to be with you, John. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's okay. This is the one. And I, I in a very practical way, I I I like to be liked. I like to be praised. I, I like to know that I've done a good job and it was well done, Jen. That was yeah. really good. And we yeah. need that. We don't, you know, we need we need that because we're human. But that constant reminding yourself that you know Jesus Jesus becomes greater and I become yeah. less. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although he he himself, I mean, he does have his wobble moments, doesn't he? Because mm-hmm. there's there's that point when he's in prison and he sends yeah. to ask, you know, at, at that moment of I guess soul searching, are you mm-hmm. the one? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. And we all have those doubts. Yeah, we all have those as well. Yeah, Good exactly. John the Baptist had them too. <laughs> I know, exactly. 
Well, folks, that has been very interesting and stimulating. Um, and yeah, I think as as we've kind of alluded already, alluded to this morning already, uh, as we delve into this, you just it just gets richer and richer, doesn't it? And and I've I've loved the setup we had from the prologue, mm-hmm. where we've, yeah. we've been looking mm-hmm. for those themes because again, yeah. we've you know we've seen a lot of those themes mm-hmm. um, coming up in in chapter three. Uh, next time we'll be on chapter four. Uh, before we do that, though, um, takeaways, and then we'll have a gem from Jen. So. Neil, what's your takeaway from today? Yeah, probably the, the the journey we went on with John 3.16. And I think, Jen, what you were saying about birth and the process of birth. And I think you, said, you, you made a comment. You said, when you are giving birth, the only thing you want is for it to be resolved or the thing above all that you want is for it to be resolved. And I can think of things in my life which I just want them to be resolved. And I perhaps have to recognise that the unresolution is a birthing thing. Jen? Yeah, I, I think just as we've been talking, I've been reading and reading again that that bit of text uh, just after Jesus says, um, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, the one that starts with John 3.16. And I'm, and I'm going to read it more because there's just so much in it. No, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, we, we haven't talked about the context we're in today and um, the mm. invasion of Ukraine. And so that's on my mind, the, the very palpable awareness of the darkness of our world. I mean, it's mm-hmm. always dark, but we're maybe aware of it as we record just now. And I just want to I want to read these. I want to come to God and say, help me to read this and understand you better, because I think... I've been confused by them or challenged by these verses and I say maybe I've dismissed them a bit and mm-hmm. I need to come back and prayerfully read them more. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that, that would echo with, with my takeaway, I think, also. And, and I would like to just go and reread the passages where Nicodemus pops back up again. Yeah. Because, um, Jen, you said something at one point about it uh, be interesting to... to write his story or hear yeah, the bits that, that we don't say. And I remember imagine that. I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. we like to go away and do that as a wee imaginative mm-hmm. exercise. Yeah. Um, great. Thank you very much to both of you. Uh, Jen, do you have a gem? I'm going to, I want to talk about celebrating um, young people's significant moments or achievement, not achievement. Yeah. Significant moments, achievements, um, sort of transition times in, in their lives. So if I work with young people and children, because I, I think, culturally we're a bit a bit weak on that you know we, we don't have bar mitzvahs or uh, uh you know when you I, I just there's not that there's not that many things in our culture so i think as christian communities we should be really uh, focused on celebrating with our young people their life growths and changes and i was thinking about this because there's a young person in my home church who is uh, going to be baptized as a believer now i'm in a church of scotland so this is quite a significant moment for us she wasn't baptized as an infant and she has chosen um to be baptized and there's lots of celebration around that and that made me think about what about the other things though though the exam they were struggling with and and they did well um uh, the move to a new school um a new friendship made i had a young person recently said to me i made a new friend today like he was about 12 he wasn't a, a small child and I, you know these kind of achievements sending cards on birthdays not just achievements but um sending cards on birthdays uh, sending cards for any reason you could think of and encouraging and supporting and rejoicing not just in this rebirth that we've thought about today you know like the young person i mentioned who said yes i'm for jesus and i want to tell everybody that 
but rejoicing together and celebrating together. And the other side of that, we will also mourn with them and weep with them when life is hard. But let's celebrate and let's have plenty of cake uh, and do that well. Sounds Quite good. Simple. That, that sounds very good. Sounds great. Neil, what are you celebrating in your household at the moment? Um, oh, uh, well, I suppose Susie's play last night went yes. really well. Um, Did you take her a bunch of flowers? No, I should have done. I shouldn't have. I always think that's really sweet when people's relatives take them. <laughs> My relatives never take me flowers. I think it's sweet when I other might, people do. I might arrange some flowers for her. That's a good thing, <gasps> I'll see. Yeah. Fiona Stewart says. <laughs> um, All actresses should receive flowers. Yes. <laughs> maybe encourage Zoe to do more acting yeah, <laughs> um, yeah what else we said probably not enough yeah we should celebrate more um, yeah another and another link to why, why we should do this at the start of the year I was involved in a thing called Star Words and it was around Epiphany and I just had a list of words and I asked if MD wanted a word in social media and I gave them a word for the year. And the word I picked out for myself was acknowledge, which kind of ties into that as well, like acknowledging the things that are happening and the people mm. about you's lives, um, whether that's flowers or cards or cake. There you go. Or just a go. message. Excellent. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you very much to both of you and thank you uh, for joining us, listeners. And next time we'll be talking about John Chapter 4. I'm taking great pleasure these days, by the way, in in providing a little summary each time of what the next chapter is going to be. So John Chapter 4, and I've I've entitled this An Initially Awkward Yet Eternally Transformative Encounter by a Well. Oh, wow. Every every word is doing a lot of lifting. (laughs) So join us then. Thank you very much for listening. 